All right, so last week, this past week, I've been feeling really guilty, okay? I've been feeling really guilty because I've been eating in front of you guys while you're hungry. So I'll tell you what, this week I've got fruit gushers for anybody that wants them. Our wonderful greeters who do a great job every Sunday are now passing out fruit gushers. If you don't want one, just take it and give it to somebody later. Uh, They'll take just a few minutes, so you guys can just hang tight while our greeters do a fantastic job. I know you're excited. These guys over here, y'all haven't got one yet. It's coming, I promise, all right? Well, it is the fellowship hall, so, and we do have a kitchen. But listen, y'all don't leave the wrappers on the floor because then I'm going to get in trouble. The nice new building, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. This is, we are going to eat in this building. It's all good, it's all good. Um, but this, uh, you can snack on this while, while I'm preaching. And this way, this week, if I go a little long, y'all don't get mad, okay? Y'all have a little snack. All right, we'll give just a few minutes. Everybody get a chance to get one. If I go over 12, we'll do another round. I don't think we've got that many. I think, I think I calculated pretty closely here. We'll have a few left over, but not many. All right. Well, some of you are going to town. Y'all must be hungry already. All right. I can preach over smacking. It's okay. There's no problem. We can handle that. And of course, this is our series, right? It's appropriate that I pass out fruit gushers. I didn't. I'm not passing. I'm taking all the credit. Our greeters are fantastic. They do a wonderful job. Frank Eskridge leads our greeters. You guys do a great job every week. Thank you so much. But we pass these out. Fruit gushers is appropriate because that is our series. We've been in our series today. It's part six uh, in a 10-part series on the fruit of the Spirit, and it is fruit gushers because as you are discovering right now, maybe this is your first time. Anybody, this is your first time ever having a fruit gusher? A couple of you. Fantastic, right? I mean, you think it's a gummy, and then all of a sudden, kabow, it explodes in your mouth. All that juice comes out. So there's juice on the inside, and then you chew into it, and the juice flows out, and it's just a nice surprise. And that's a great, a great description, a great analogy of what the fruit of the Spirit should be. It's on the inside, but it should flow on the outside, which is the theme of our series. The fruit of the Spirit flows in us from the presence of the Holy Spirit and flows out of us for the advancement of the gospel and the glory of God. This is about authentic Christian living, living for Christ in a world uh, full of of lost people. And through displaying the fruit of the Spirit, the nine flavors of fruit, we show Christ to a lost world. Uh, We get this from Galatians 5, 22 and 23. This is not going to be on PowerPoint. I just want to read through it real quick. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, all of those we've talked about. Today, we come to kindness. And the next week, goodness, faith or faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things there is no law. Quick review. Uh, The Holy Spirit, it's by the presence of the Holy Spirit. We cannot cultivate the fruit of the Spirit on our own uh, through human effort alone. On the other hand, we cannot sit back and expect God just to cultivate the fruit of the Spirit while we do nothing. It's both and, not either or. It's the work, the presence of the Holy Spirit cultivating it in our lives, but it's also cultivated through spiritual disciplines, our practicing uh, the different flavors of fruit. The secret to the flow of fruit, how do you do it? Well, you have to yield to the Holy Spirit. It's about submission. I have to yield to the Spirit's work in my life and allow the Holy Spirit to do His work in my life. 
And then the fruit of the Spirit is singular, not plural. This is important because if I'm a follower of Christ walking in submission to the Spirit, then I'm going to display all of these flavors, not just a select few. Uh, Whether they come naturally or not, whether kindness, for example, comes naturally or not, I should be displaying this fruit in my life or this flavor in my life. All of the flavors that make up the fruit, it is singular, not plural. One fruit nine flavors. Last week, we talked about patience, and patience is difficult to learn, so we could say that maybe that's a tough flavor, right? Well, if patience is a tough flavor, then kindness is tender, and that's a good description of kindness. This morning, we're going to look at kindness, what that looks like. We're talking about kindness in terms of a flavor of spiritual fruit. What does that really look like in our lives? Well, in 1 Corinthians, we, we see that kindness... Um, throughout Scripture, kindness is, is associated very closely with love. As a matter of fact, 1 Corinthians 13 says love is patient. We talked about that last week, but love is also kind. Love is kind. So it's, it's a part of being a loving follower of Christ. You see, there's really, there's almost a progression in the flavors of fruit, right? Because love is kind of what it all centers around. Love is the, the flavor from which all the other flavors if I love you, uh, th- then I'm going to be patient with you. If I love you, I'm going to want to have peace with you. If I love you, if I have love, the love of Christ in me, I want to be joyful. And certainly if I love you, I'm going to want to show you kindness. Kindness is very closely associated with love. Being kind to others is one of the most noticeable characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit because it's through acts of kindness that we show the love of Christ. If we love others, we will be kind. Kindness, here's, here's a kind of a broad definition. Kindness is being thoughtful of others more than myself in any particular situation. It doesn't really matter what the situation is. It, being kind means I want to help others. I want to encourage them. I want to comfort them. And I want to do something that benefits them without expecting anything in return. No payment in return. I'm not worried about getting recognized. I'm not worried about any form of payment. I just want to put others' needs above myself and, and to show kindness to them just for the sake of showing the love of Christ through some act of kindness. It's the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do to you, Matthew 7, 12. It is, it is treating others the way that I would like to be treated, not expecting to be treated that way. If that happens, that's great, but I want to, be, I want to treat others the way I would like to be treated. Kindness can be words, things that I say, but it can also be actions and is possibly best seen through actions, performing acts of kindness to show the love of Christ. We should be willing to do something that helps someone, even if it inconveniences me. Even if it's an inconvenience, it it causes me to stop doing what I'm doing. Kindness usually costs something, but expects no reward. But kindness is more than just actions. Kindness is about my character. Kindness involves our character. It should describe who we are as followers of Christ, because through acts of kindness, we show the love of God. Here's something to remember. Kindness is how God's love lives loud in our world. If we want to show the love of Christ, one of the best ways we do that 
is by performing acts of kindness, speaking kind words and doing kind things. It's how God's love lives loud in our world. It's not just a term to describe actions, though. It is a characteristic that describes people, people who habitually behave in a way that blesses and benefits others because that's a part of your character. That's who you are. And so it just comes out. It flows out. That flavor of kindness flows out of your lives to the benefit of others. Now, listen, kindness is easier for some people. All right. Uh, We all probably know people that that struggle with kindness. Maybe you struggle with kindness. I don't know. It's, it's easier for some people, but it's something that all of us should display as followers of Christ. It becomes our character only as the Holy Spirit cultivates it in us. All of us are going to struggle with some of these flavors. It's only by the power and living in submission to the Holy Spirit that it's cultivated in our lives. Even if it doesn't come naturally, the Holy Spirit can cause you to be kind or loving or peaceful or whatever it is that you may struggle with. Kindness becomes our character as the Holy Spirit cultivates it. That's because kindness is a part of the character of God. He wants it to be a part of our character because it's part of His character, and that's our first truth this morning, and that's that kindness is displayed in the character of God. We see that throughout the Bible. You know, there's a beautiful word in the Hebrew language, in the Old Testament. That word is hesed. And that word is so beautiful because it carries such a deep meaning. It means so many different things, and it all relates to love, loving kindness. It can be translated love. It can be translated faithful love. Sometimes it means loyalty. And the reason it's so many different translations is because it means all of those things, Hesed does. When God acts with Hesed towards people, that means he's showing mercy, merciful love toward those, toward his people, toward those that he blesses. Um, toward people who are in a vulnerable or a needy situation. An older way of translating hesed, and I love it, it's loving kindness. carries a sort of a double meaning. It's loving, it's kindness motivated by love, and that's who God is. It's also translated simply as kindness because it carries with it the act, the idea that I love somebody, but it also carries with it the idea that I'm going to show you kindness. There's action involved. It's not just an emotion that I feel. It's something that flows out. That's hesed. And we see God doing that. We see him performing acts of mercy, acts of kindness toward people who don't deserve it because none of us deserve it. But it's his love that motivates him to do that. So it's loving kindness that he displays. When God acts in kindness, it means it's simply, it is mercy, but it's simply that God is keeping his covenant promises with his people. He's made a covenant with his people, the nation of Israel, the Old Testament, with us, the new covenant, salvation. When he acts in kindness, he's keeping his promises. He's simply doing what he said he would do. All of it is unmerited. There's nothing we can do to deserve it, which is what makes it grace. And we're not getting what we do deserve, which was what makes it mercy. But it's God's loving kindness shown to his people. That's all wrapped up. The meaning of hesed involves all of that. He meets our needs, giving merciful love, giving his blessing and benefit. And we see some great examples of that in Scripture. One is Psalm 23, the 23rd Psalm, verse 6. Surely, David says, surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all of the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David's thinking about God as a shepherd here. I mean, he's, God is our shepherd. And a shepherd, uh, he, he treats his sheep with kindness protecting them and providing them, even 
putting himself at risk. A good shepherd will do that to protect the flock. And God is committed to caring for his flock, his people. We see that in the Old Testament. We see it with us. He cares for his people because God himself is the essence of goodness and kindness. Another example in Psalm 136, 1, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. That entire psalm celebrates how God, in his works of creation and redemption, has always acted with faithful, trustworthy love. Even when his redemptive work, including acting, acting in judgment on people, we talked about that, he showed patience. But even in, in, in performing judgment, it's an act of, of faithful love because he is just. And he punishes his children uh, in, in order to correct them with the motivation of correcting them. Look at Psalm 145, 17. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his deeds. You know, we see it throughout the history of Israel. We see his kindness on display time and time again. He acted with faithful love, performing righteous deeds. And we see them celebrate that in, in Isaiah 63, verse 7. I will tell of the kindness of the Lord, the deeds for which he, have done, he has done. He is to be praised according to all the Lord has done for us. Yes, the many good things he has done for Israel, according to his compassion and many kindnesses. They celebrated the kindness of God, and we too should celebrate the kindness of God because the greatest example of God's kindness, using the same word here in Titus as is in the fruit of the Spirit that we just read, it was the gift of God's Son, Jesus Christ. Titus 3, 4, and 5 says, When the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, He saved us, not on the basis of deeds, which we have done in righteousness, because we were not righteous on our own, but according to his mercy, only because of his grace and his mercy by the washing of regeneration and the renewing by the Holy Spirit. The greatest act of kindness God ever showed was the giving of his son, Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of our sins, the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross so that we could be free from sin. Kindness is a part, should be a part of our character because if we want to be like God, we will be kind because it is a part of who he is. It is his character. Kindness is therefore to be displayed in the, in the character of God's people. And we see that. We see the kindness of God through scripture and we see the kindness of God's people. Those who were truly followers of God, Jehovah, Yahweh, They showed kindness. We do see it in the New Testament. But one of the greatest examples, there are are several examples. I could go on for days. Don't worry, I won't. But I could go on for days about examples of God's people showing kindness. We talked about one a few weeks ago, uh, a little over a month ago, David showing kindness to Mephibosheth because he had made a covenant with Jonathan. Y'all remember that, right? Maybe. That's a great example of kindness, but one of the most beautiful acts of kindness displays multiple by multiple people in the story is the story of Ruth and Boaz. The book of Ruth is a beautiful story, and that, that word hesed is what appears in the book of Ruth, and it is such a wonderful example. You've got double kindness. You've got Ruth showing kindness to Naomi by staying with her. So you've got, you've got uh, Ruth showing kindness, then you've got Boaz showing kindness to Ruth by marrying her. But you could even say it's a, an act of triple kindness because you've got God showing kindness to Ruth and Naomi. So let's, let's look at it just briefly for just a few moments, this story. First, Ruth shows amazing self-sacrificial kindness to Naomi. You got to remember, Ruth, uh, she was a Moabitess. She was, she was not 
uh, a Jew. She was not from the nation of Israel. Uh, Elimelech and his family had taken his family during a famine uh, to Moab to try to survive. His sons had married Moabite women, and he and both of his sons were killed. And so Naomi, who was Elimelech's wife, is a widow, and so is Ruth, and, and so is Orpah. Orpah leaves and goes back, I mean, which is what she had every right not to it wasn't unexpected. It wasn't bad for her to do so. But Naomi takes a little different path. Instead of going back to Moab, she says, nope, I am staying with you. I'm going to be with you. And in, in, in her, her loyalty to Naomi and then her conversion to Yahweh, we see one of the most beautiful uh, speeches in the Bible, Ruth 1, verses 16 and 17. But Ruth replies, do not persuade me. Naomi's trying to get her to go back to Moab. You all, you're not going to have a chance with me. You've got to go back so that maybe you'll find another husband. Maybe you'll survive. But Ruth replies, do not persuade me to leave you or go back and follow you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. She is claiming Yahweh as her God now. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May Yahweh punish me and do so severely if anything but death separates you and me. Now, you've got to understand, this was huge. She could go back to her home and be safe. Going to the nation of Israel, going to Jerusalem, going to a foreign, as a foreigner in that land, she was putting herself at great risk. But she understood that God was the one true God, and she understood that she needed to be loyal to Naomi. So this is an amazing act of loyalty and kindness. And then Boaz meets Ruth while she's gleaning in the field. And he's heard about what she's done for Naomi. And he's impressed by what she's done for Naomi. And he commends her for all that she's done for Naomi. Since the death of Naomi's husband and her own husband, she could have gone home, but she chose to take a risk and stick with Naomi. Ruth, in turn, expresses great relief and gratitude for his kindness. He shows her kindness. He allows her to glean in his field. And so he shows her kindness. And then when Ruth tells Naomi what happened, she, she knows who Boaz is as a relative. And so she tells her to do something. Verse 20 of chapter 2, Ruth 2. Then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord who has not forsaken his kindness to the living or the dead. Naomi continued, the man is a close relative. He is one of our family redeemers. Now, the concept of kinsman redeemer uh, is that if your husband, if you were a lady in this time and you were a widow, you didn't have much of a chance, okay? It was just the times you couldn't own property. I mean, you just didn't have much of a chance. So what, what could happen, though, was if there was a relative of your husband who could marry you and afford to, to manage both his land and your husband's land, then if you had children with that close relative, they would essentially be your husband's children, so that family line could continue. The closest relative who could do that, that was how God preserved family lines. It was, it was an act of grace for widows, but also your family line, your legacy, your lineage was everything in this day and time. So this was a way to maintain that. And Boaz is one of those. He's a relative, and he's wealthy. So he is a possible redeemer, and Naomi recognizes that. He's already showing kindness to Ruth. She's caught his eye. And so she says that he is a, one of our family redeemers. And then the next scene, Ruth, on Naomi's instruction, goes, Boaz is sleeping on the threshing floor. 
They're gathering the wheat. It's harvest time. He's sleeping on the threshing floor. So Naomi uh, goes and lies down beside him in the middle of the night. Now listen, there's nothing hinky going on here, okay? This, isn't, this is all ritual. It's all ceremony. It's all right. He's, on Naomi's instruction, Ruth goes and lies down beside Boaz and through ceremony asks Boaz to marry her. All appropriate, all right, does it by the book, and, and this is what Boaz, he blesses her. He said in, in chapter 3, verses 10 and 11, May the Lord bless you, my daughter. You have shown more kindness now than before because you have not pursued younger men, whether rich or poor. You get the idea through this book of Ruth that Ruth, uh, she's a looker, all right? She's, she's easy on the eyes, and she's young. And so she could have any, her choice of any young man, whether you know, Jew or a Moabite. But she chooses Boaz, and Boaz recognizes. He's an older guy, um, evidently single. So there, you know, there might be a reason for that. I don't know. But he's kind. He's a nice guy, all right? A lot of things you can fill in the blanks here. But he's grateful, right? I mean, he's surprised by this. Verse 11, now don't be afraid, my daughter. I will do for you whatever you say, since all the people in my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Now, he's surprised, as any of us would be, lying asleep on the floor. You wake up, there's a lady laying beside you. You'd be surprised, okay? But he blesses her. Why? Well, for one, he cho- she's choosing to marry an older guy when she could have any guy she wanted. And she's doing it because she, I mean, I think this is a love story. Don't get me wrong. I think it's a beautiful love story. But don't, don't, you can't set aside one of the main reasons she's doing this is because of her loyalty to Naomi, right? And he recognizes that. He's recognizing that not only has she chosen to stay with her, now she's choosing a path that's not expected so that Elimelech's family line can be maintained, which is, means this is also a huge act of kindness on the part of Boaz because all of, of Elimelech's land that he's now going to be in charge of, the sons that he will have, everything will go to that family line. Those sons will get everything. He will get nothing. Now, he's already wealthy. He's got plenty, but this is a huge act of generosity on his part. So all through this story, we see amazing examples of God's kindness, his loving faithfulness through his people. God's kindness should be displayed through his people, plain and simple. We are as his people. We should look at these examples, the story of Ruth, Boaz, um, God in that story. We look at David showing grace, showing mercy to Mephibosheth. All of these different examples that we see should be examples and a challenge to us. So in Ruth, as in other places in the Old Testament and the New Testament, kindness was a part of the character of, God, of the God of Israel, so he expected it to be a part of the character of his people. Micah 6, 8. He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? What does he require? But to do justice to love kindness, act in loving kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Kindness is a key characteristic of one who calls himself or herself a follower of the one true God. We do actions that are kind, and when we do that, we're being like God. We are displaying the character of God. What's more, when we do that, we are, when we're being kind to others, we are being kind to God. How do I know that? Well, Jesus said, if you've done it to the least of these, you've done it to me, but Proverbs 1431, the one who oppresses the poor person insults his maker. If I oppress you, if I mean to you, then I'm insulting God. But the one who is kind to the needy honors the Lord. In Proverbs 19, 17, kindness to the poor is a loan to the Lord. 
I'm displaying generosity to God, and he will give a reward to the lender. So kindness is a part of the character of God and his people. Something else. Kindness is displayed through the ministry of Jesus. So we see the kindness of God in the Old Testament. We see the kindness of his people. We also see kindness perfectly uh, uh, displayed through the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. If kindness is putting others' needs above my own, then Jesus was kindness incarnate. I mean, he was the perfect example. He did that continuously, many examples. Think about all of the things that Jesus did in the gospel stories. Now think about this, okay? All the healings, I mean, all the things that he did, um, if not all, most times he was on his way to do something important or he was in the middle of something important and someone interrupted him, right? Think about that. Um, I mean, he was interrupted. He was doing something else, important things, not just, you know, laying around the house, lounging around. He was on, his, on a journey. He was having a meal with somebody important. I mean, he was teaching. I mean, something, and someone would interrupt him. Did he ever once get angry with those people for interrupting him? Think about it. You go do a, do a study later, and you come back and tell me if you can find an example of him getting mad at the people who interrupted him who were in need. Now, he got, he got tough with the religious leaders of the day, rightfully so. But I'm talking about the people who interrupted him who needed help. He always stopped. He always made time for those people, and he did it. It was grace. It was mercy. And he, he continuously did that. Just, just a few examples here. The woman with bleeding, interrupting him on the way to an ur- urgent medical emergency. The parents bringing their children. Suffer the little children, let them come to me. The disciples wanted to get on with their education. And Jesus said, nope, I'm making time for the kids. Don't push them away. Don't, don't, don't throw them out. Blind Bartimaeus, who kept shouting over the crowd until Jesus finally stopped and took care of him. The Syrophoenician woman who wouldn't take no for an answer. The woman who anointed his feet and caused a problem for the host in their eyes. Jesus accepted her and her gift, her offering. Even in Jesus' excruciating agony on the cross, he had been beaten so severely most people would not have survived, nailed to a cross, suffering in agony. What's one of the last things he does? He takes care of his mother always thinking of others. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. The people who were doing it and those of us here who are responsible, our sin is why he went to the cross. Even in agonizing death, Jesus shows kindness. So if being a disciple of Jesus means that I have to follow his example or I should follow his example, what does that mean when we look at that? means I've got to be, I've got to act the same way. So why do I have such a hard listen? I'm talking to myself here, okay? This is, this is, the Lord is dealing with my heart through this series as I hope he is yours. So if that's how I'm supposed to be, why do I get annoyed when people interrupt my day, my routine? Really? Because I'll be honest with you, I have. I can't say if you search through the, the chapters of my life, you'd find every time somebody interrupted me, I was like, oh, that's okay. No problem. And sometimes I look for interruptions. If you've ever stopped by the office, you know that because I'll talk to you all day long. <laughs> I'm, I'm really avoiding work probably, but I, I, enjoy, I enjoy doing that. But no, I mean, you know, I'm, I've got, I'm on a mission. I've got something to do. I've got my list, my to-do list, and then all of a sudden, bam, somebody just crashes my day, needs something. And I got to be honest, I don't always respond with kindness, all right? So why is it such a struggle for us? Well, 
I think one of the reasons is because I'm too busy. You know, my, that list I just mentioned, that list gets pretty long sometimes, and I get laser-focused on getting those things done, and, and I, I forget about the fact that there are people that need help. Or maybe I'm just too self-absorbed. I've been guilty of that. And I'm just too caught up in what I want to do. You know, I've got my agenda. I've got things that I want to do, things that I enjoy, things, good things. You know, I'd rather be doing this or, you know, whatever. And, and whatever need that somebody has interrupts that. I mean, usually it, if I'm having trouble with this, it, it, it relates to selfishness. I mean, if we're really honest, it's because I don't want to be interrupted from what I'm doing or I don't want to be bothered by somebody else's needs. Or it could just be completely honest. I just don't know how to meet that need. And, and instead of taking steps in faith and trying to, to, to do the work of finding out how to meet that need, I just don't want to be bothered by it. But if I'm going to be like Christ, I have to let the Holy Spirit cultivate kindness in my heart. And when, I, when all of this happens, I, when I struggle with kindness, I need to remember, I need to remind myself how I should be, behave toward others around me, even strangers. Even when I'm tired and under stress and under pressure, I need to be able to respond with kindness if I'm going to be a follower of Christ. The Spirit has to cultivate it. Then I have to work at developing, because remember, it's both and, not either or. He's going to cultivate it, but then I've got to put it into practice, which leads to our final point, and that's that kindness is expected in the lives of God's children. I've got to do the work to cultivate it. It's expected. So it's got to be a part of the character of who I am. It's got to be displayed in my life. Kindness is a part of the fruit of the Spirit because it doesn't come naturally. Naturally, we are selfish, in, selfish individuals. In sin, we are just not, and that's just who we are. Some more than others, but we all struggle with that to some degree. So the, the Spirit has to cultivate this. That's why it's a fruit of all of these things. I mean, some are better at some than others, right? But if we're honest, we all struggle with these on some level. And the reason is because it's fruit of the Spirit. It's not fruit of a sinful human being. <laughs> I mean, it's not natural So, as sinful human beings. So the Spirit has to cultivate it. Some people struggle greatly with kindness. Some people naturally just rub others the wrong way. You know, it's interesting where we get our phrases from. In old colonial houses, in many of those houses, you would see wide planked wood floors. I mean, you know, they probably is, I mean, they, this is uh, laminate flooring, but it looks, looks pretty good, right? And, and wide planks. And in some of those old colonial houses, I don't know how wide they are, but I imagine about that wide. You'd have these wide wood floors, and they were a bear to polish and keep polished. And so wealthy homeowners would get their servants to wet rub and dry rub these floors to keep them clean and polished. It was almost like a wet mop and a dry mop. I mean, it was a task. It was a job. That's why they got their servants to do it. Um, but if a servant wet and dry rubbed the floor against the grain, it would leave streaks. And their phrase for that was, you rub the floor the wrong way. And that's where we get our phrase, rubbing people the wrong way. It's unpleasant. I would imagine it would be unpleasant doing that. I just get pictures of splinters. I don't know, you know, rubbing it against the grain. And that's the, where we get our phrase, rubbing people the wrong way. But here's the thing. If I'm a follower of Christ, the kindness of Christ means that I rub people the right way. Even if it doesn't come natural. Even if I have to work at it. Um, if it's not a part of my nature, that's, that's what Jesus did, and that's what he expects from us. If we're going to be like Christ, we have to learn to be kind, whether it comes naturally or not. This flavor of fruit grows in us because of the life of the Spirit 
that lives in us, but also has to be cultivated. It has to become a habit that builds into our character, which takes work. Again, both and, not either or. Spirit working our part and making this a habit. How do we know when kindness has become a habit? Well, kindness becomes a habit when it becomes more natural to say and do what is kind rather than to not. When it just comes naturally. It becomes a habit when you don't have to stop and think, check off the reasons why you shouldn't do something kind for somebody else. You do it, even if there are reasons maybe why you shouldn't, because kindness trumps some of the risk involved, even if it puts me at risk, even if it costs me my time, even if it costs me money uh, to show kindness. And if I feel miserable because I didn't do something kind, if I know I had an opportunity to show kindness and I didn't, or I said something I knew I shouldn't say, then I have to go to the Lord and ask for his forgiveness and grace. We all fail, but if this is going to be cultivated, we've got to work on it. We've got to be willing to work on it. Here's some some things to pray for if you struggle with kindness. Ask for God to show to give you opportunities to show kindness. You know, be specific. You know, who can I thank today? You know, what, what's what's somebody that I can? Who's somebody, Lord, that I could just thank for for something? Maybe it's your parents. Maybe it's uh, somebody who is close to you. Maybe it's your spouse or your children um, who's done, who've done something nice for you. At work, traveling, you know, who just saying thank you to somebody goes a long way. Uh, where can I give a smile or a word of appreciation? You know, maybe you go out to eat after church today. Maybe just going an extra step and, and leaving a good tip, because good ch- church folks should do that, but then saying, saying something kind to that person or say, hey, we're about to bless our food. Can we pray for you about something? Just showing gratitude, showing kindness toward that waiter or that waitress. Um, what will I do, Lord, if I meet someone in need? You know, am I prepared in advance uh, to meet that need if I have the opportunity? Maybe a little extra money. Maybe, um, maybe I got a little snack prepared. I meet a homeless person. You know, I can give them a snack real quick or something. You know, I mean, just any, anything I can think of to be prepared to meet a need. Am I willing to interrupt my day? Who can I show kindness of the Lord? Lord, who just show me somebody that I can show kindness to and be willing to do it. You know, it's interesting, there are two places in Colossians 3 where Paul begins a sentence with whatever you do. The first is in Colossians 3.17. And whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So am I doing something that Jesus would do if he were here? That's, that's a good way to kind of summarize that. Am I acting as though Jesus himself were acting in and through me? Because that should be the case, right? If, if I were Jesus, what would I do for this person that I have the opportunity to help? If I, were he, if I were he, what would I do? In light of that, what should I do since I should be acting in the name of Jesus? That's, acting in the name of Jesus means acting as, if I, as though, as though if, that I were him, right? I mean, because his spirit is in me living through me. And so what would WWJD Unfortunately, that kind of became a cliche, but that's the point. What would Jesus do in this situation? So I should act the same. The second occasion is Colossians 3.23. Whatever you do, do it enthusiastically as something done for the Lord, not men. So I'm looking at people going, okay, if Jesus, if, if I were Jesus, what would I do? And then if you were Jesus, how would I treat you? 
That's, that's, those are the questions. I ask, if the other person were Jesus, what would I do for him or her? So two questions that we should live with every day, every single day. What would I do for people if I were Jesus? Because we want to become more like Christ, right? We should want to become more like Christ. The second question I should live with every day is, what would I do for people if they were Jesus? I mean, if, you know, if you've done it to the least of these, you've done it to me. I mean, we're called Colossians. Whatever you do, do it enthusiastically as if you were doing it for the Lord. So if, if it were Christ that I was confronted with, how would I treat him? That's how I should treat others. Wouldn't that make a difference in how we treated other people? If we live with those two questions in the forefront of our minds every single day, would that not make a difference? I think it would. Anita Roddick, author of, of Revolution and Kindness, says this. She says, the end result of kindness is that it draws people to you. And that's all well and good. That may be true, but here's our goal as followers of Christ. The end result of kindness, we want that to draw people to Christ. We want to point to Jesus. We're not people of kindness so that the world will love us. We are people of kindness so that the world will love Jesus Christ. That's our goal. Because if it's all about drawing people to us, it's not going to work every time. We won't get fulfilled in that. Because more times than not, people aren't going to appreciate it. A lot of times, at least. Or they won't show it because it's awkward. It's uncomfortable, even if they do appreciate it. We will never get fulfilled that way. But if we're motivated by pointing people to Jesus, we will see people's lives changed. That's something pretty incredible to be a part of. Our goal should be pointing people. We do kindness for the name and the fame of Jesus Christ. That's our motivation. It's all about him. He is, the Lord is our banner. We exalt him above everything else and everything that we do. This isn't about a social gospel. It's not about making people's lives better through acts of kindness. It's not about improving things politically or socially. I mean, that may happen as a result. And listen, acts of kindness can be a part of the gospel, but that's not the power of the gospel. If we look in the Bible, if we look in Romans chapter 116, it says the gospel is the power for salvation. It's not acts of kindness. We may point people to Jesus, but the power for salvation is the gospel itself. It's Jesus Christ giving his life on the cross for the sins of man and our accepting that free gift that we cannot earn, his being raised from the dead, him living eternally so that we can have eternal life. That is the gospel, and that's where the power comes from. Now, our acts of kindness can be part of that. And that's one of the ways that Jesus gives us to point people to him. But it's not about just improving life, people's lives here on earth so that they can go to hell from a comfortable life. It's about pointing people to Jesus so that they can go to heaven and live eternally. That's what we're called to do. And that's why this is so important, because this is one of the best ways we can show the love of Christ is by taking time to do something tangible for people that need acts of kindness, that need love in their lives. Our acts of kindness should be followed by verbally pointing people to Jesus Christ. The acts speak for themselves, but we should take advantage of opportunities to tell people why we're doing what we're doing. There's an officer, by the, a police officer by the name of Jeremy Henwood. In 2011, NBC News, this is a picture of him right here. NBC News ran a story about Jeremy Henwood. And the reason they ran this story was on several news outlets. But the reason they ran a story is because Jeremy Henwood was sitting in his patrol car and a man walked up for no reason at all and shot him and killed him through the window of that car. No, unprovoked, no reason at all, just walked up. But the reason Jeremy Henwood, I mean, that's reason enough for news, but his name, his story uh, went viral, essentially. 
because right before that, Jeremy was, Officer Henwood was in a McDonald's getting some food. And there was a little boy there by himself. And Officer Henwood took it upon himself to talk to that boy for a few moments, to speak kind words to him, and he bought him a meal. He bought the young boy a meal. And I saw an interview with the boy later. He said it changed his life. It changed his complete. Before that, he hated police officers. After that, he, I mean, he started to, 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 he started on a right path because of his interaction with this officer right here. And to that day, he was still on that path. But think about it. His final act on this earth Three minutes later, he was sitting in his patrol car getting ready to eat. The man walks up, shoots him, and kills him. His final act on this earth was showing kindness to a little boy who needed it, speaking kind words to a little boy who needed it. Thousands of people attended his funeral, and they talked about all of the things that he did, but this act of kindness swept the nation. You may have heard about it. I don't know. It swept the nation. People were talking about it everywhere. This one act of kindness. It's caught on video. You can go watch the video. He's talking to the boy, buying him a meal. Swept the nation. And so he, he was known. The last thing that he did on earth was showing kindness to a little boy. It raises a few questions for me, and I want to leave you with these questions, or a few points, a few truths. Number one, this is a broken world full of senseless acts of violence like this. And it just proves that we live in an imperfect, broken, fallen world. And it will be that way until Jesus comes back, okay? As a matter of fact, Revelation tells us it will get worse, all right? And I'm not telling you that to depress you. It's just things like this remind us we live in a fallen world, which should remind us that there are people out there that need Jesus, and we need to share Christ with them. Acts of kindness is one of the ways that we can do that. But talking about final acts to remember, the, the most famous... The ultimate final act of kindness was Jesus' final act on this earth, giving his life for the sins of mankind, dying a criminal's death, taking on the sin of the world, the wrath of God so that we wouldn't have to, and then being raised from the dead three days later so that we can have victory over sin. That is the ultimate act of kindness right there. I mean, nothing against, nothing taking nothing away from Officer Henwood. Incredible what he did. The greatest act of kindness is Jesus' sacrifice for your sins. And if you don't know him, you can receive salvation by putting your faith and trust in him today. But one final question that we all, I think, need to ask, not to be overdramatic, but it's important. If my next act, if I were to leave this earth today, he didn't, Officer Henwood didn't know that would be his last act. But if I were to leave this earth today, what would I be known for? What would my legacy be? be the people that know me the best my family what would my legacy be that's something we all need to ponder because this is not just about doing nice things jesus didn't do nice things because he was a nice guy he was i'm i know he had to be he was rough though with the people that were sinful i mean those religious leaders he didn't pull any punches he could be rough when he needed to be it wasn't just because he was a nice guy it was because it was who he is I mean, God is love. He is kind. Love is patient. Love is also kind, and he is love. So this should be a part of who we are. And the only way that's possible is if I have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit lives in me and is cultivating this flavor of fruit with, along with all the other fruits. So let's just take a moment and go before the Lord in prayer with that question in mind. What would I be known for if this were it? And if I'm not happy with the answer to that question, Lord, what do I need to do to change my legacy? 
Is it that I need to accept your son Jesus as Lord and Savior? Is it that because I've never done that, I don't have these flavors of fruit because I don't have the Holy Spirit living within me? If that's you, you can cry out to God right now where you are, silently in your heart, whether here, at home, wherever you're watching, wherever you're participating in worship. You can tell the Lord Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins, and I know I've sinned. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you can be saved. You can confess him right now where you are. Lord, I believe that you died for my sins and you are the only one that can save me. And I'm inviting you into my life to take over, to be Lord. Please forgive me and save me. If you do that, he will. You don't have to have all the theological answers to all the theological questions. You just have to know that you've sinned. Jesus died for your sins, and he wants to save you because he loves you. If you accept that gift, you can be saved. And maybe that's where your journey needs to begin today in cultivating these, these flavors of fruit. Maybe you're a child of God, and you struggle with this incredibly because you're too busy. Maybe it's because it's not natural, whatever the case may be. Maybe there's another flavor you're still struggling with. We're a couple of weeks past it, and you're still dealing with it. Just talk to the Lord about it right now. Ask him to show you how to improve, how to cultivate this flavor of fruit more. Father, we thank you that you are patient with us. Love is patient and you are love and you are patient. You give us more chances than we deserve. One chance is more than we deserve. We can never repay you for the kindness that you've shown us. Giving your son Jesus to die for our sins. Taking on our sin so that we can be free. We thank you for our country and the freedom that we have, and we thank you most of all for the freedom we have in you from sin. Lord, we can never repay you, but we can become like you as you intend for us to be. We can allow your spirit to work in and through us to cultivate your character, to make us more like you each day, more like your son Jesus. And we can display this fruit in our lives for your glory, for your name, and for your fame so that you will be exalted above all else, and so that people will be drawn to you through us. What an amazing privilege it is to be a part of that process. You don't need us, yet you choose to use us to draw people to yourself, to point people to you. Lord, I pray that we would look at it as just that, a privilege, and that we would enthusiastically pursue that with everything that we are. The Great Commission, making your name known to the nations. Lord, help us to have that missional perspective, to live lives that are missional, to live as missionaries in our culture, in our lives, in our neighborhoods. And one of the ways we do that is through acts of kindness. Lord, just speak to our hearts now as we begin this time of decision. Show us how to respond in a way that honors and glorifies you. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Would you stand for our time of invitation?